Speaking God's truth to powerful people doesn't always work out well for the preacher, does it? Just ask Joan of Arc or Oscar Romero or Martin Luther King Jr. or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or ask John the Baptist, who, as Suzanne reminded us in the sermon last week, had traded the luxurious life of a temple priest for the hard-pan existence of a wilderness prophet. Having left the courts of power to which his birth entitled him, John pursued ministry on the margins of society and chose as his pulpit a perch that allowed him to lambast those in positions of political or religious authority. John defiantly preached the nearness of God's judgment and the new order that would come with it. John refused to soften his words when speaking about or speaking to someone in a position of power, someone whose power would surely be taken away when the chosen one, the anointed one, arrived. In today's gospel lesson, we learn that John had already been thrown into prison, and a few chapters later in Matthew 14, we learn what John had said that got himself thrown into prison. Herod was the ruler of that region, and Herod had decided to divorce his first wife in order to marry Herodias, who had been his half-brother's first wife. They seemed to have arranged that divorce in order to be together, and John the Baptist refused to keep quiet about it, ignoring any who would tell him not to preach about politics John, the baptizer, spoke about that unlawful marriage as exactly the kind of corruption among the so-called leaders of God's people that God's anointed one would come and clean up. Not surprisingly, Herod was furious. He arrested John and threw him in prison. He actually wanted to kill him, but Matthew lets us know that Herod was afraid because of how popular John the Baptist had become. It seems Herod knew that killing his only critic would look pretty bad. I wonder what John thought about the whole situation as he sat in prison. I wonder how he made sense of his circumstance, that his faithfulness, his commitment to proclaiming the unadulterated word of God was the very thing that got him locked up. John had given his whole life to the work of showing people the straight and simple way into God's reign. He had sacrificed a life of comfort in order to prepare the way for God's anointed, the one who would come and do God's work. And what did he have to show for it? Here he was languishing away in prison, and Jesus the one everyone spoke of as the anointed one was walking about freely. And more than that, this Jesus was dining with the Pharisees, the very religious leaders that, Jesus had, that John the Baptist had been so critical of. And even more than that, Jesus was spending all his time with sinners and prostitutes. I wonder what all those people who had gone out in the wilderness to be baptized by John thought of the fact that this, this one who dwelt and spent his time with the, with the unpleasant people in society, how this one who supposedly was the one God had sent 
how he hadn't figured out a way to get John out of prison yet. As the days went on and as any sign that John might escape Herod's wrath waned, I wonder whether John himself began to wonder what he was in it for, began to wonder what sort of Messiah he had been pointing to in the first place. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? That's the question John's disciples asked Jesus on the prophet's behalf. It's a reasonable question. There are lots of different messianic traditions in the Hebrew scriptures and in the Jewish tradition, and some of them conflict with one another. Some passages of scripture foresee a priestly figure who will come and purify the worship of God's people as if with a refiner's fire. Others envision a prophet like Moses, one who will come and lead God's people into a new era of covenant faithfulness. Some predict a warrior who would come and defeat all of God's enemies or a king who would come and rule God's people with justice and righteousness. Like many of the people who lived in Roman-occupied Palestine in that day, I'm sure John and his disciples wanted to know whether Jesus was the kind of anointed one who would come and defeat the oppressive empire and set God's captives free. But when those disciples asked Jesus whether he really was the one they'd all been waiting for or whether they should look for another, Jesus says to them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them, and blessed is anyone who does not stumble because of me. That's what Jesus thought about his ministry. That's what Jesus understood it meant to be God's anointed one, God's Messiah. I wonder what you think about that. Is that the one you've been waiting for? Or are you still searching for something else? What kind of Messiah do you want Jesus to be? What kind of Savior do you think he is? It's really easy for us to fall into the trap of believing that Jesus came to fix all of our problems, yours and mine. But as much as the redemption of the whole world includes every one of us, surely God's plan of salvation is bigger than the needs represented in our congregation. The language Jesus uses to describe his ministry is an echo of Isaiah 35, that first reading we heard. Isaiah 35 is a chapter of the Bible in which the prophet envisions not merely the healing of the sick or the comforting of those who mourn, but the renewal and the restoration of all who need help getting into God's reign. Think about it. When the blind can see and the lame can walk and the ritually outcast are cleansed, when the deaf can hear and the dead are raised and even the forgotten poor have good news brought to them, then all people can travel that highway that God is making between the desolate wilderness into God's joyful and abundant reign. That means that the work of God's anointed one is nothing less than ushering all people and all peoples into God's joy and gladness. Of course that means you and me, but it's also a lot bigger than us. 
Jesus tells us that that shouldn't surprise us. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? He asked the crowd. A reed shaken by the wind? Someone dressed in soft robes? John the Baptist preached a message of hope that was far more refreshing than a walk through the wilderness and far more permanent than a leader who wears royal robes. And it's a good thing because we're not going out into the wilderness looking for another leader like that. John, who preached about the coming of God's judgment and God's imminent reign, shares a vision of a new kind of authority, but he's not pointing to a king who lives in a palace God's people didn't go out into the wilderness because they're looking for the kind of change they can get from their political or religious leaders, their president or their priest. They're looking for more than an answer to today's problems, something bigger than a solution to the crisis of the moment. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for nothing less than the full and unending life that God has in store for all of God's people. Where are we going to find that? Jesus could have led a rebellion that attacked the prison where John was being held in order to set him free. Jesus could have rallied the entire Jewish, Jewish nation to lead an insurrection against the Roman occupation of the land that had been promised to their ancestors. Jesus could have called down legions of angel warriors to establish a new kingdom here on the earth but he didn't do any of that because the reign of God that Jesus brings is bigger than a prison break. It's bigger than a political victory. It's bigger even than a new worldwide order. So what did Jesus do instead? He spent time with outcasts and he welcomed sinners and he made place at the banquet table for those who are estranged. Like John the Baptist, Jesus spoke truth to those in positions of power in his day, and he was killed for it. But his death at the hand of earthly powers was overcome by God's resurrection power, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God, God might inaugurate a new reign of divine power, which includes all of us and so much more. Is that the one we've been waiting for? Or have we, been, have we been looking for someone else? Is Jesus' vision for the renewal of the whole world, the salvation that our hearts have been longing for, or has our focus been narrower than that? Go tell the world what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. In other words, in Christ, all people can dance and sing and rejoice their way into God's new and everlasting reign. That is good news of a Savior that we've all been looking for. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.